Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Drug Solutions Podcast. I'm Feliza Mirsal, the science editor of Pharmaceutical Technology. In this episode, I'll be discussing issues around challenges, sustainability, and current big trends in the outsourcing industry today with experts from the PBOA and Informa. This episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast is sponsored by Lonza. Lonza is an industry-leading, integrated, contract development and manufacturing organization from drug substances to finished drug products. Speaking with me today will be Gil Roth from PBOA and Tara Dougal from Informa. Gil is the founder and president of the Pharma and Biopharma Outsourcing Association, otherwise known as PBOA, a nonprofit trade group advocating for the regulatory, legislative, and general business interests of the CMO and CDMO sector. Gil was the founding editor of Contract Pharma magazine. Tara is the content director for the pharma portfolio at Informa Markets, where she oversees development of in-person, hybrid, and digital content for the CPHI Europe, CPHI North America, and PharmaPAC Europe exhibitions, and for CPHI Online. With that, let's move on to the podcast. Thank you, Gil, for joining us for the PharmTech Drug Solutions Podcast. Thanks so much. And, um, sure. And uh, I thought maybe we just get into the dialogue here of, on outsourcing. And one of the first questions I wanted to ask is, what are some of the big trends that you're seeing today in outsourcing? And um, are there any particular categories of, for example, the new drugs or new molecules that are responsible for growing the demand for contract services? Sure, it's a it's a pretty complicated ecosystem, but you know, to take that last part first, you know, there's certainly new modalities that CDMOs, contract development and manufacturing organizations, uh, are working on and helping their their customers develop. In particular, we're talking about cell and gene therapy. Uh, that's a huge frontier, and a few of the the larger CDMOs have made multi-billion dollar investments in that space as drug pipelines are moving from both large biopharma and from startups in the, the cell and gene therapy uh, uh, area. We're also seeing new work in other advanced modalities like antibody drug conjugates. And um, of course, you know the, the biggest story has been the explosion in messenger RNA and, and other vaccine products like AAVs, whether that's in bulk manufacturing or in fill finish. That's skyrocketed over the the course of the pandemic and we're seeing more investment in especially on the fill finish and more sterile injectable uh handling capabilities and the ability to handle significant uh, uh manufacturing as we saw during the pandemic i mean significant volumes thereof that said you know small molecules are still the workhorse of the industry and there's a lot of 
manufacturing ca uh, capacity investment, both in terms of sort of standard uh, small molecules and some of the high potency ones, which are seeing more, um, more development and more application going forward. So CDMOs are in those spaces. Uh, and they're trying to, to both maintain capacity uh, when it comes to some of those pandemic-driven types of manufacturing and still handle the uh, the day-to-day -day sort of routine business that existed before uh, messenger RNA and some of the other vaccines. And what have been the greatest sources of challenges or difficulty uh, in the outsourcing industry for both the small molecules and the large molecule space? I'd say particularly, and it's something that impacts both CDMOs and the, the in-house side of pharma and the rest of the world, as we've seen, supply chain issues. Um, they've been a burden on CDMOs and customers, um, partly through uh, the disruptions caused by pandemic export bans and then uh, some of the COVID zero policies in China. But we're also seeing some of, one of the after effects of, of COVID was the slowdown in clinical trials due to the pandemic in 2020 into 21. And the, um, well, also the lack of, of uh, VC funding or the, the tumult in VC funding for smaller biotechs. When you get disruptions of the clinical development supply chain that ultimately ripples down to things that are either delayed or never get into the pipeline further down into commercial manufacturing. So that's going to have an effect on development and manufacturing services over time. It's also up for debate whether in the U.S. the Medicare price negotiation aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act will affect R&D pipelines, what goes forward, what gets canceled. Um, there is some debate as, as to you know how significant an impact it's going to have, especially in the small molecule space. But it's a new factor that, that has to be weighed by both CDMOs and their clients when it comes to making the capital expenditures on manufacturing capacity, on staffing, et cetera. As a sort of overarching take, um, you know, also around the supply chain issue, onshoring has become a, a major talking point among various countries, the U.S., EU, and, and well, the EU is a, a, a governmental body, and others. And that, that creates a whole set of concerns depending on how different countries approach it. If anything, the, the pandemic has really laid bare certain aspects of what pharma supply chains look like and trying to, to make sure those are resilient going forward, whether it's in terms of what the clinical, um, clinical trial networks look like or what the actual development of manufacturing services world is, CDMOs are going to be a big part of that going forward. Now, just in terms of, uh, you know, of course, the, the disruption from the pandemic has affected so much in all industries. Um, but where we are now, 2023, do you see any of these supply chain um, issues starting to either ease up or, or, you know, are they finding solutions? Are things looking like they are getting back to where they need to be? I think so. I, I I survey my member companies periodically just about what sort of things they're they're having trouble procuring or what things are now getting easier to procure during the height of of not the um not COVID itself, but the vaccine production surge, which really led to uh reallocation of resources to make sure that the vaccine companies were going to have enough um well the 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 disposable well all sorts of the components they need to to actually make these things 
um, that drew resources away in some respects, especially from other biologic-based drugs, uh, the sorts of things that were necessary to, to make them, the consumables. So I think we're seeing more um, uh, that, that's easing up somewhat. There were stories of very, very long delays for bioprocessing, single-use bags, and other components. Uh, especially as the Defense Production Act was being used in the U.S. to allocate some of those resources towards the the messenger RNA vax companies. So those are easing up. I think we're seeing more um, flexibility coming back into the system, definitely. Um, there's still you know, great questions and there's potentials for disruption in particular countries, but I think we're seeing there's very little when it came to actual shortages that were driven by um, – vaccine era issues. There were manufacturing problems that predated uh, uh, COVID, or there were facility quality issues that were not COVID related either. Um, but when it came to uh, component shortages and things driving uh, uh, actual drug shortages, we really didn't see that. And I think it's a sign of the resilience of the industry and the ability of multiple sources for different types of components and, and ways of rationalizing manufacturing processes. Now, that's interesting that you did bring up the um, issue of onshoring as well, because we certainly have seen uh, the desire to bring more manufacturing back onto, for example, U.S. soil. So in terms of uh, your members, your CDMO, CMO um, people, how are they then strategizing their facilities, their manufacturing capabilities to serve their purposes but perhaps at the same time, try to meet some of these demands for more onshoring. It, it's it's a, a very complicated issue, as I'd said. It's it also involves what we do as a trade association, which means talking to Congress, talking to the White House, making sure they understand what the manufacturing landscape already looks like in the U.S. In some respects, you know, one of the the uh, phrases I use is you know, dance with who brung you. You know, there's a significant amount, especially on the dosage form side, there's there's already a lot of manufacturing here in the States. When it comes to API manufacturing, it's mixed. There's still significant API uh, manufacturing base here, but sometimes it's geared towards uh, particular types of drugs. And when it comes to the White House and Congress, things seem to focus around the essential medicines list that came out in the middle of 2020 in the previous administration and trying to figure out which of those are particularly critical. And not just when it comes to, as we now see with APIs and dosage forms, but understanding where the precursors come from and the key starting materials and the excipients. A lot of those things nobody really thinks about, but they also tend not to get made in the US. So it comes to explaining you know, what the manufacturing landscape looks like, what our guys can do to help bolster that, but at the same time, the reality of what it would take to really build the chemical industry infrastructure in the U.S. to handle even a limited number of those essential meds and what it would do to the prices of these, these drugs going forward, which is something that's sort of a third rail. And as CMOs, we don't talk about – we're not involved in the pricing decisions for these products, but it's a reality that's going to ultimately impact what sort of capital investments get made. Now, from a biologics perspective – BARDA, the uh, Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Agency, I hope I got that right, um, is involved in trying to figure out the what they're calling the biomanufacturing consortium. So they want to have, they want to make sure that within the U.S. there's a basis for their goal, which they've talked about publicly, 
from the for the next pandemic or major biohazard from the time a counter agent is developed either a vaccine or a therapeutic to have enough doses for every person in America within 130 days of the discovery of that 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 biologic or whatever that that drug is and enough for the rest of the world another 200 days and that is a major lift and there's a lot of debate going on as to what sort of investment that would entail Knowing that biologics, at least there's a little more flexibility when it comes to doing everything domestically, it's still a huge amount of, of capacity, not for the single instance, as we discovered with, with COVID, but to carry that capacity during non-public health emergency times. It's it's still the, the issue with building up this sort of capacity is that somebody has to pay for it when it's not being used. And the the older model that BARDA had when it worked on these these sorts of arrangements was to give a lot of capital so that companies could build that capacity and then tell them, you're on your own, bring in business, whatever. If we ever need this capacity, we come in and take it. And we've explained to the, the federal government that for CMOs, it's really not um, doable. It's not feasible because we can't sit on that overhead and even if we're bringing in business, it's a slow industry when it comes to you know how long it takes to to do tech transfer, onboard everything, and actually get just start generating revenue. So it's it's more challenging than this. And we're talking with the feds, and it was part of the year end uh, uh, appropriations omnibus bill to give BARDA more flexibility to work on a reservation fee model, a take or pay sort of uh, uh, model where they're paying ongoing costs of the manufacturing facility, not just giving them upfront money and telling them we'll come by and take your capacity when we need it. So those are parts of the onshoring issue. What I always try to point out is everybody has a shore. You know, Canada's realization was that they had no vaccine manufacturing capacity domestically, and they are making uh, significant investments in that space. Europe is trying to build up its API capacity and Sanofi spun off its API business or an API unit uh, to turn it into a Euro API to, to start making more API domestically. There are economic challenges with that. There are healthcare payer models that are, again, way beyond the pay grade of, of the CDMO sector that force some of these um, that the, the dictate where certain things get outsourced and why. So to really conduct a, an onshoring initiative is going to involve a rethinking of some of the economics of, of healthcare, which unfortunately, again, I, I can't comment on because I'm I'm just the guy who represents the people making the drugs for the companies. How are CDMOs uh, and CMOs sourcing new customers? And how would you say industry events such as the CPHI, the Interfexes of the world, are playing a role here? Well, I think the pandemic by necessity opened up new ideas for finding customers. Uh, the key trade events like, like CPHI Worldwide, DCAT, uh, Interfex and, and Bio, things like that, they'll remain incredibly valuable because it's still getting that face-to-face that -face meeting. Um, but there is more of a place for online, I don't think online conferences necessarily, but online events, webinars where companies actually demonstrate some of their expertise in a non-shameless self-promotion way. Uh, virtual facility tours, I think, uh, have come to mean a lot when it comes to how to show what you already, what you have in place. And that was a thing that I think developed in an interesting way uh, during the, the heights of lockdown, because it meant 
everybody was at the the same starting point. You could be uh, the the biggest CDMO in the world or a single site facility that's you know in the sort of sub five million dollar range. You still couldn't have anybody come to visit your sites, so you had to make that investment in how to show what we have, how to do the the, the virtual tour. Um, and I think some of the tools developed in that way helped supplement ways of, of bringing aboard new customers. It's still, you know, there's no substitute for the in-person conversation. And that's why something like DCAT, once you're already uh, established, is a great event because you are able to sit down in person with all of your, your existing customers are all coming to, to New York for that sort of thing. With a CPHI, you get a mix of that where you're scheduling lots of, of meetings because people are coming in, but you also have those serendipitous conversations, whether it's somebody who just comes by your exhibit hall or, as has happened to me, you share a cab with somebody when you're leaving the, the big hall in Barcelona because it's so far from downtown. And, hey, who are you? Why are you here? And you end up discovering that, oh, oh there's something in common and we've got something to talk about and, and business grows that way, too. So there is more, you know, I think companies are happy to get back to in-person. I think there's a lot of rethinking about how else you can you can supplement that and what the virtual does and what working through some magazines, uh, the guys who have a good, solid, both print and online presence, the way you can sort of leverage that into demonstrating what your company does and, and what its expertise is, getting the name out there. So, Thanks, Gil. Now, Tara. First thing I wanted to get into is, uh, what are your thoughts on how the role of events have changed in the last few years? How does it give new business strategies for CDMOs, for example? Yes, thank you so much, Lisa, for inviting me here today. Really happy to be speaking on behalf of CPHI. So we have noticed, as I think many events organizers have noticed, that there is a big focus on returning to in-person events, a lot of excitement around that. And it's been great to see so much energy at our shows um, in the past couple of years. One thing we have really noticed about events is, uh, and a slight shift in the way that people plan their events, is the focus on pre-arranged meetings and really planning ahead of schedule. So we notice now that there are fewer walk-ins, walk-in appointments on the show floor. People are really turning up to the show with an agenda and a packed agenda. And actually one of the elements that um, we believe has been helping people in their organization and in their planning of the event is the hybrid elements that we offer as part of CPHI. So now we have an event platform which is open a couple of weeks before the in-person experience and this allows attendees and exhibitors to go in and see the exhibitor list, to see a product mix, to see who's going to be at the show, to already start reaching out to people doing networking ahead of time, um, building leads already so that they're going to the in-person event equipped with an understanding of who's going to be there, maybe with a few meetings already in the bag. Um, and that's really the value that we see digital events are offering now. It's that hybrid experience that we believe will be a big part of events going forward. And particularly for CDMOs, because we know that they're really looking for that new client base and for a lot of smaller companies who are looking to outsource or are looking for new partners, this is also a great resource to be able to already access our event platform and see which CDMOs are going to be there and to already reach out to them for meeting opportunities on site. Uh, to follow up on that, now that events are back and in person, it seems that you mentioned that people will know who they'll be seeing when they show up in person. 
And do you feel like, do you get that sense that that desire to really be face-to-face with people, is that still in the, in the mix for the outsourcing industry that they really want to be there in person? They really want to have that face-to-face meeting versus just meeting someone over a virtual camera? Absolutely. I mean, I do believe that there is no substitute really for that face-to-face interaction. And in a business like Pharma, which is about trust and it's about partnerships and about relationships, of course, that is an essential component. But I think with digital transformation for any industry, we need to leverage technologies to help us to do our jobs better, to make our experiences better. And I really think that that is the role um, for digital or hybrid events. It's They don't need to exist separately, they can be complementary. And that's the offering that we're really trying to bring uh, with all of our events and our endeavors at CPHI now, is that 365 experience. So yes, we have these events. That's a great touch point to come together, to meet your clients, to meet your peers, to meet new business. But what are you doing outside of those event cycles? So how can you engage online all year round? How can you continue to build leads, to build interest, to build engagement in your products and your solutions and to kind of keep that great momentum going that we see at events? So, yeah, I really I personally really believe that uh, hybrid events are the future. So now just to move into the idea of sustainability, um, mm-hmm. how is sustainability working its way through the industry? So sustainability, or as we sometimes refer to environmental and social governance or ESG, is really gaining a lot of momentum in the industry. So I'd say from a content perspective and our content agendas, it's a topic that we've been talking about probably for around three to four years. You you would have noticed it on our content agendas. We've run webinars, we've had various pieces of content, but I think what really hit home for me is a couple of years ago, going to our um, CPHI event in Milan, which was the first one after the pandemic, just walking around the show floor. And I noticed that every stand had a leaf or a tree or some kind of call out or messaging about sustainability. And it really feels that now this is front of mind for the industry. And I think that comes from a few different reasons. One, we all know we have an obligation to be as sustainable as possible. We also know that the pharma industry is um, almost worse than the automotive industry in terms of emissions and byproducts. So, I think there is a consciousness of trying to reduce impact, reduce carbon emissions wherever possible. Another reason I think is uh, investment. So I think, you know, for investors who are looking at companies where they want to spend their dollars, they want to know that, or they want to be able to understand what their objectives are around sustainability. They are looking to actively invest in sustainable organizations or organizations that really put that at the front forefront of their strategy you know even for companies like Informa internally it's a big big uh, focus area for us as well we want to be able to show our exhibitors and our partners that as an events organization we're doing as much as we can to be sustainable and to reduce our impact and a big part of our strategy is also working with industry to see how we can disseminate knowledge, how we can share important case studies, how we can bring people together to essentially create better outcomes for all of our clients and our partners in the long term and for the environment, of course. One of the big trends that 
we are seeing, uh, you know, we're hearing about for the industry, well, for the uh, pharmaceutical industry in general, is you know, the um, idea of moving our manufacturing sort of mm -hmm. onto U.S. soil for, for us here in the U.S. So in terms of, uh, you know, reshoring, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on what's going on with reshoring and how that's, how you see that occurring globally? Yes, so reshoring obviously was brought to light uh, following the pandemic and the shortage of essential medicines in the US. And it's something we've written a lot about, it's something that's been on a lot of our agendas and will also be on our agenda this year at CPHI North America, um, because there is such a focus still on domestic manufacturing. I think the way we see it going now is that it is uh, going to be complementary to manufacturing efforts. So many of our uh, CDMO partners or the big CDMOs perhaps did not have a plant on US soil before. We've seen a lot of plants opening in the past couple of years, but this doesn't necessarily mean that there will be a total shift away from uh, manufacturing in China, manufacturing in India. So um, I think a lot of clients and partners call this their plus one strategy. So it's not about completely replacing their manufacturing efforts in China or India, but it's about mitigating that risk a little bit and having a plant on home soil where you can commit to producing essential medicines. And, and this really ties into that uh, supply chain resilience that we keep seeing coming up. So how can we safeguard the supply chain? How can we reduce risk. This is a huge topic for us, uh, not only for CPHI North America, but we will have a lot of sessions on this in CPHI Barcelona. So we're already planning out that agenda for, for October. And I think that really ties into the reshoring debate. It's not necessarily about um, only pushing domestic manufacturing or US manufacturing, but it's about how can we ensure we don't see those shortages again in the future? How can we safeguard our essential medicine production in the long term. What are you seeing in terms of CDMOs finding new clients or finding new business? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're seeing a huge interest from a lot of our CDMO partners in meeting um, biotechs or small uh, SME kind of enterprises. So they're really interested in meeting leadership from those kind of um, organizations um, who, who might be looking for partnering opportunities. And actually leadership is a core demographic at our events. We have around 30% of our attendees are from a leadership function. So we know that they're coming to CPHI North America or to CPHI Barcelona actively looking for partners and for, for new outsourcing opportunities. Um, from a content production perspective, we released an, a report last year on the future of outsourcing, which we partnered with Thermo Fisher Scientific on. And we are releasing a lot of content on um, how to partner, when to partner, when to decide to outsource, and what are the considerations that you need to take into account when you are looking to find that partner. Because again, this is about trust, um, it's about expertise, it's about capacity. I mean, this is a huge challenge that we see with a lot of CDMOs in the US is they're very busy. They don't have the capacity, which means that um, a lot of pharma companies are who are actively looking for outsourcing opportunities need to perhaps move away from the big partners who can't accommodate them and look into other smaller CDMOs. So the content that we're producing is about 
um, when you decide you want to partner and when you decide you need to outsource, how do you go about doing that? What are all the considerations? Um, and yes, we do have actually some more content on this at CPHI North America. We have a, a breakfast session at the show, uh, actually in collaboration with Adair Pharmaceutical Solutions, and they're going to be focusing exactly on this topic. So if you're a smaller company, just getting started and you're looking for that outsourcing partner, what do you need to consider? So that's gonna be one highlight on the agenda this year. So Tara, how is CPHI relevant or applicable for companies that may be in the preclinical space, um, maybe CROs or other smaller biotech companies that are doing mm -hmm. preclinical work? How, how could they benefit from a CPHI? Yeah, I would say CPHI is all about uh, connections and partnerships. And I think if you are in that preclinical phase, start early, come to the show. Maybe it hasn't been on your radar in the past. And I think um, part of the legacy of CPHI is that it's often been considered a small molecule event or a small molecule brand. That is really changing and that's changing with the industry and it's changing with the objectives of a lot of um, the biotechs and also with our vendors. They are offering services into cell and gene, biologics development. Philadelphia itself is a huge hub for uh, cell and gene therapy development. So I'd say even if you're at that early stage, come to the event, meet our clients, meet our exhibitors and really see what they can do for you. Because, um, you know, really it is the heart of pharma, that event, and our speciality is really bringing people together. So I do believe that there's some very valuable relationships that can come from you attending CPHI North America. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tara, and for sharing your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I hope to see a lot of people in Philadelphia for CPHA North America in April. Well, that's all for this episode of Drug Solutions. Thank you, Gil and Tara, for taking the time to speak about the latest goings on in the outsourcing industry. I'd like to thank our audience for listening. And thank you to Lonza for sponsoring this podcast episode. For more of our Drug Solutions podcast, please visit www.farmtech.com. Until next time, goodbye and have a great day. Thank you to our editors and experts for sharing their insights. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our e-newsletters. When you sign up for our newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars and hear about episodes of Drug Digest. Thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast.